Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence with psychiatrist Bernard David Beitman, MD. Dr. Beitman is the founder of the Coincidence Project. The project encourages people like you to tell each other coincidence stories. To learn more about Dr. Beitman's work, put Connecting with Coincidence in your web browser. You'll find his book, his Psychology Today blog, and the interviews from this podcast. And now your host, Bernard Beitman, MD. Welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. And we are here to bring synchronicity, serendipity, and meaningful coincidences into your life. So thanks for listening and watching this podcast. In psychotherapy and counseling, the relationship between therapist and patient can be a microcosm of the bigger world of relationships. Patients sometimes mirror what the therapist is dealing with. Friends, relatives, acquaintances sometimes mirror your, yes, your listener, our listeners and viewers, they mirror what you are struggling with, trying to manage. Therapists can learn from patients. Being a therapist, and catch this one, being a therapist is the only way to be in therapy without having to be the patient. Recently, two of my patients mirrored me. One told me too many details when telling a story or a situation. The other excessively blamed herself. I see these qualities more starkly in me by helping them with their mirror problems that mirror my, my own. Our guest today knows this psychotherapeutic mirroring from personal experience as a therapist Enough so that these synchronicities led her to formally study this phenomenon in her PhD dissertation. Yvonne Smith Tarnas is a Jungian analyst in private practice in San Francisco. She has also studied astrology since 1973. Yvonne received her doctorate at Pacifica Graduate Institute and her dissertation titled Destined Meetings, Synchronicity, intentionality and archetypal meetings, meanings in the, initial, in the initial therapy session. Yvonne has presented her integration of psychotherapy and astrology in many places, including the British Astrological Association Conference. Welcome to the show, Yvonne. Thank you so much, Bernie. Happy to be here. And happy to have you. So this is, this is quite interesting to me what, you're, what you've got. Um, what you've done, what you've described, and that particularly it's at the beginning of sessions that uh, this happens, that you have this, this thing happen with people. So would you tell us about that? Yeah, I think um, why it seems to happen at the beginning is that there's sort of a more fresh sort of potential, potentiality that exists in the, in the introduction. There's a lot of hope and anxiety coming in people want to imagine that this person that they're coming to see is going to make a big difference in their life. And so that there's uh, a more of a curiosity and I think just receptivity to something new happening. And by allowing that field to open up, it also brings in this constellation of synchronistic phenomenon that we're talking about. It's a very good description of what happens um, when when people are walking into therapy, I think uh, 
from what I've been able to conclude more generally is that when the circumstances are such that a person has a lot of need, is in high emotion, and also is in some kind of life stressor, that increases uh, the likelihood of coincidences. And psychotherapy is all of that. So the likelihood of being coincidence, of coincidence happening in psychotherapy is, is higher than just generally speaking. But then what you add on the first session, that's a new thing. I like to think about transitions like that as also being rich uh, with, with possibilities. We're going from one thing to another. So that's what you're dealing with. Now, one of the stories that you've, you've told us, and I'd like you to tell me, tell, tell us, is about your, your patient, Kate, because that's paradigmatic for uh, what you're writing about. Oh, yeah, it was definitely uh, a, a, an experience I had to put into context. So shall I just go into the story for you? Just go into the story, please. Okay, so I was waiting for a brand new patient to come in. I had not seen this person before. And I began to start feeling anxious within uh, the hour as it was starting to come into you know, the five o'clock point. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe this person isn't gonna arrive. Maybe there's, there's something that's happening and they're not gonna show at all. And I began, as I sat there, um, thinking about my brother. Now, my brother was four years, is four years younger than me. Uh, he was born with several mental and physical handicaps. And I began to notice how guilty I was feeling about the fact that I was doing well, that my life was going well. And he was living in another state at this point um, in a, as a paraplegic in an assisted facility and had uh, a long drug problem. And as I was kind of kind of in the mix of this thought, I hear someone at my door, she's arrived and apparently had lost the address and found her way. And she kind of settled down and, and we began talking and she told me that she just was really coming in for help because she wanted to embrace her life. She wanted to understand why even when she was happy, she felt guilty. And she felt that she was caught in sort of a kind of perfectionistic orientation that was trying to do everything right that was making her more and more anxious. And I wondered aloud to Kate, we'll call her, um, if there were particular messages in the home uh, you know, about perfection growing up. And I added, obviously from this rumination of my own, that sometimes someone else in the home needs so much more that there's no room to be imperfect. Well, she just burst into tears and she began explaining that her older sister uh, was born with a severe handicap um, and had many special needs to the point that the whole family had had to center around the older sister. And at this point, her sister was living in another state like my brother um, and had estranged herself from the family, had uh, a, a drug issue, but also was also a paraplegic. And I can tell you, I was, I was just sort of, you know, astounded that we were already dove into this kind of parallel space. The idea that you could, the idea that you could bring up the possibility that there was no room in the house not to be perfect, based on what your ruminations were before, which 
I'm pretty sure, at least in the old standard way of thinking about psychoanalysis, Freudian psychoanalysis, that is solipsistic, Yvonne. That's all. I know. It's all about you. It's heretical in a way. <laughs> you shouldn't be doing that. Just talking using that's heretical. What's that's? I mean, talk about that. I don't. I don't even know what question to ask you here. That's such a an interesting thing to do as a psychotherapist. Uh, that you do that. I do that not quite as precisely as you just. Well, I, I have to say, Bernie, I don't know that I was fully conscious of it. I was so led into the story that almost blended with my experience that I had just had. This is not a, um, my own reverie was not a place I spend any time in. It just came in, in that moment before she showed up. I didn't mean to do it, doctor. It just happened. <laughs> I know, right? Our unconscious is always leading the way anyway. Well, subconsciously, yes. But that, that you had the permission to do that, I mean, in your training and the way you think um, is what's so contradictory to uh, like my therapist <laughs> who th thinks she's psychodynamic. I don't know what she is, but she, she, she's, she doesn't bring herself in. And you brought yourself in, however, subconsciously, consciously that you were uh, thinking about it then. But you thought about it. It was there. It was proximate. You saw the possibility. You saw that it might fit. But you didn't know this person very well. But it might fit. And she cried because you hit it right on the button for her. Yeah. That, that's good therapy, of course, I think. And you do, too but it's not standard. It's use of yourself. Exactly. Therapy. That's humanistic. That's uh, something as psychotherapy is developed. That's still not what a lot of therapists do, except I think when they get older, they do it more. I think that happens. Yeah. And that, that that's how else do you do that when you're doing therapy where you sense a potential mirror of your relationship? Well, they come in, uh, you know, one of the things that comes up often for me and in the study that I did is these, um, the parallels of, of one is thinking about something, like I'll have a thought about something that seems somewhat random and the patient will begin talking about it. Now, one could say that I have a really strong intuition, which I think is the case too, but um, it doesn't come up in me in other ways. I am sitting with someone and I'll have that experience and I'll notice where it sits in me and start kind of seeing and tracking if it's the similar situation for the patient and open it up that way. And where it comes from, you call it intuition, which is such a wide open thing. Yeah. It means, I thought it, but I don't know where it came from. It's what it means, uh, or I felt it. And it could be telepathy. It could be that both of you are connected at some place uh, in the psychosphere, as I call it, our mental atmosphere uh, coming together and doing it that way. But there's, it happens, and that's what's it happens. And you have confidence in it. Now, one of the things that I find potentially interesting to our audience is that most of them are not psychotherapists. But psychotherapy is a paradigmatic uh, in a relationship, relationship that has its analogs in outside of therapy. And I wonder if you could 
do a little generalizing and then we come back to therapy, but generalizing about that, the mirroring of uh, between two people. Well, it's the mirroring between two people in terms of having finding out that you've been listening to the same piece of music or finding out that that um, you've both been in contact with somebody that no, you didn't even know that you, you each knew. Those kinds of mirrorings occur. I mean that, but I also mean the person starts talking about a problem that's the same as yours. Oh, that happens quite frequently. I think that probably is a common experience for many people. I think it is a common experience for many people. So I just want to confirm that, as simple as it is to say it, uh, that is a common experience. Somebody says this and it reminds me of my problem. Well, that's what I was describing earlier on with my two patients. They're talking about something that I'm thinking about right now. And the fun of it for me was to be able to like help them and that helps me. Right. Look, can you comment on that please? Well, the mutuality concept. Oh yeah. Well, I think that's something that has been, I think brought more forward, at least in the case, the conferences I've attended more recently with other professionals. There's this acknowledgement that the patient often brings in the very problem that the therapist needs to be working with. And, and it's a, a humbling, right? It's kind of like, wait, that's not, oh, I guess that's something I'm, I'm, I'm having to work with and that they, they have to work with it together. And that came up a lot in the research that I did with my uh, dissertation and then just in working with other clinicians that I do. I think I told you, John Beebe told me that, John Beebe, the Jungian analyst, when I was a first year resident at Stanford, your problems walk into your office. I said, what? Yeah. What? <laughs> and that's what, and now you confirm that, and that's so important. Confirm that. And because we're, we're, we're this is not a psychotherapeutic uh, podcast, I mean, hopefully therapeutic for some people, but the, the idea of generalizing that, that like, uh, like assortative mating, like uh, you end up with people who have problems like yours and as well as predispositions like yours. So I want to be able to go back and forth between the therapy thing and outside of therapy. Right, right. Well, I do think also people come in with gifts that you have that you don't know you, you have. And that, that's an important level of, of synchronistic kind of recognition if you can be open to it. And that's you know, an important factor too. Could you give us an example of that? Mm. Well, I think it. I think of a friend of mine who was very, uh, you know, kind of disturbed to meet someone new that she really was excited as a new a new friend, but was envious of because this woman was doing some major yoga activity and. She felt that that was something she had always wanted to do and was really kind of upset about the fact that this person had it all and she didn't have it. And it was sort of like a waking up for her that she actually had been the one that was resisting her own calling and used this friend as a, a kind of example for her to sort of lead into some things that she had been previously um, negating her own, own gifts for. Uh, that's that that is really good because that's the sort of thing I'm trying to be able to like help people see 
that the synchronicity of content and relationships in and outside of psychotherapy. And the, the more examples we can come up with like that, I think the better. But if you, if you do think of them while we're talking, some more examples. Yeah, I have to, I've been thinking more clinically, but yeah. If you, if you can, yeah, we're, this, we're talking psychotherapy, certainly, but the idea of the same thing happening out there just struck me because if, guess what? Before I started, before our podcast, just the last couple of days, these mirrors started happening. <laughs> I started noticing them. So with my patients, and I, I know they happen out in the world, and some of them are really uh, profound because there's an old there's old ideas of like uh, everybody's there to teach you. You can yes. learn from every situation. I think that's exaggerated. Not everyone, but there's a lot of learning that can go on out there. And after all, this is Earth University for some of us. We're trying to figure out what's going on around here and who am I? Those are basic questions. <laughs> what's going on here? I don't know. Um, well, other people can reflect in their search what you might be looking for. I think that's a common experience that we, you know, most often gets dismissed. This experience of um, finding that there is sort of a commonality with someone you get introduced to and and kind of having being with what comes up in you around that commonality and 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 allowing yourself to kind of be curious to how that that connection is is trying to inform you it, you know we might make meaning that seems uh, a little far reaching but i honestly think that in some ways that's actually the potentiality that's being brought forward. And um, it happens so much that, you know, it's kind of like when we think about projection, where we think I, I'm, I'm putting a negative thing on somebody, but we also put positive um, projections on people and think, well, I can never be that. But that just the fact that that relationship is in, in action suggests that actually you could connect with that positive potentiality you see in the other is actually an aspect of yourself that you are awakening to. And I think it's a really important um, facet of human you know, growth that is sometimes just ignored. That's, I love that, I really do. Um, and I, again, more examples would be helpful, but that the idea, the idea that, that uh, a person who comes to you is a potentially awakening possible potentials in you if you allow that to happen the admiration you can have for somebody i'm going to have lunch with a guy i haven't seen for a long time as a trumpet player or not he's a very good trumpet player i'm not going to become a trumpet player um it's just not going to happen but what is it about his musical sensibility that he helps evoke in me um, that i can then use somehow uh to find in me to be able to dance hit the rhythms know how to breathe better when I'm dancing. Um, those are the kinds of things that we can look for each other, to each other, and, and get something positive for each of us. Exactly. So I'm, I'm trying to come up with other um, examples more out, outside the therapy office, Ernie, and I, it, it, I've got so many in the office, so I'm just give me a, a few minutes here to kind of summarize well, it. That's okay. I, I, that was kind of a curveball that I didn't really realize until um, 
we got until we got into it or I had these other examples. But there's more to be able to talk about about, about here, Yvonne. Um, you've talked some about what was going on with you and Kate. Um, yeah. There's, le there's a lot more. I mean, you made a dissertation out of this thing, uh, and she was a key story in it. So please talk to us a bit about what you thought was going on besides that each of you had something mirrored of the other and that helped you understand empathically her. That helped me understand empathically her? Well, you did understand empathically her by your intuition. But yes. what else was going on between the two of you is what, I, what I'm asking you about, both at a, at a little deeper level and also at an archetypal level. Well, I think that there was a lot on an archetypal level, you know, um, a quality of perfection and, and the sort of um, idealized feminine, particularly in how one appeared, how one held oneself together that had taken up so much residence in her mind and I recognized in mine around um, sort of the limits of it, of trying to, to, to be the perfect self for, for everybody so that you could kind of contain the situation, people would feel better, this idea that you could sort of manage people by, by being really good. And um, it's, it's the archetype of, of kind of being the perfect daughter. It can be the perfect, you know, the parentified child that has to come in and sort of show up and be in control and develop the situation that the family is falling apart at. Those, those were parallels all the way through. So it was really interesting on that level. The phrase, the phrase you have of, of controlled, controlled by perfectionism, control the environment by perfectionism. Uh, that, which, what is, what do you, I, ha, I think I have an idea. Would, would you tell me a little bit more about that? Because. I mean, I'll tell you about me a little bit because it reminds me of me, of course, in this, as you'll tell me, but how does perfectionism from this archetype help control uh, the environment? Well, I think it's an inner perception that if somehow I'm so good, I can keep everybody from like getting upset or, you know, people will settle down. There'll be more room for me to get the love I want, perhaps, Oh, you know? So everything's fine. So maybe I'll get a little love out of this. Yeah. Because I'm because I'm so perfect, I'll get a little love out of this. Yeah, and that's the only way I can be lovable if I'm really perfect. Part of it is a time thing. If they're okay, I they can do it, and the only way I can be lovable is by being perfect. Then becomes a feedback loop between the completely, two. and a trap. And a trap. So what about a guy who happens to be the person you're talking with, who? who grew up uh, in a family, as some of us do, and became um, uh, like uh, uh, fourth in the class rankings high, in high school for, uh, for grades, um, the scholar athlete, um, all conference in football, all conference in baseball, captain of the baseball team, and and also um, played in the Delaware, where I went, all-star game, football all-star game. Those are among other things besides winning a batting title when I was um, in 11th grade. Wow. 
That's a that's a lot of uh, what perfection, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it wasn't. I, I, I tell me, were you trying to be perfect? Uh, I I I love playing and I love doing it well. I mean, if you're going to do something, do it well. Was the kind of thing. But I just loved sports and I loved studying. Yeah. So they were both there. Uh, but in the family I grew up in, I was separated. My brother, my brother, I often thought, who was younger than me, my brother is an, was an only child uh, in that family. So that meant I was an only child in that family. We had three different, uh, two different families uh, th with three different people in it. And my brother and I played sports together. That's what we did. So uh, when you tell me about perfection, this was like a, 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 an accomplishment form of perfection, not what right. you're describing a, a female um, make everybody happy thing. This was maybe my way of trying to make everybody happy in something that was like um, a little dysfunctional. Well, and it's also probably constellating um, wanting to be seen as um, a good product out of the union of the family. You know, you represent the family in your accomplishments. You, people can kind of go, this is my son. Look how, how great he did. And there's a sort of value in that. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my parents never acknowledged that, that what I had done. They never did. Uh, oh. oh, in very small ways. And I won't describe them, but very small ways, but memorable to me. But my, my mother's sister would like write to the newspaper, local newspaper and say, you don't have big enough headlines for burning. <laughs> so you had some cheerleaders just a little outside the circle. <laughs> That's great. It, 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 the function of that is what you're bringing up here with your perfectionism. It just reminds me of a masculine version of what you were describing doing. Definitely, definitely the achievement sort of um, quest for that kind of recognition. And maybe well, love, love for that. Completely, we all wanna be seen and loved. And so we try to find the, 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 the primary um, uh, energy that's gonna activate that sense of being loved and held and seen as special. Activate the primary energy. Activate the primary. <laughs> There's a lot in that somewhere, Yvonne. <laughs> Just pretend like I don't know English. What What do you mean by that? Well, you know, the, I'm thinking about the primary energy of the family that is going to center around you. The hope that somehow this thing that you bring forth, you know, the perfect child, the perfect girl child in, in both manners and comportment and, and appearance is going to activate the, the, the energy of love and being a part of something. It's the hope of being a, a part of the system. Oh, could I say the perfect behavior and being activates the, the more perfect love? That's the, that's the fantasy, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. not true? Oh, well, I, I, I come to think different. Yeah, I, I don't know that it's true. Obviously, it hasn't. It, it helped me develop who I am, but I understand it in different ways now. How do you that there, I was dealing with preoccupied people in my family system. And so how do you understand it now? Uh, well, how I understand it now is that I use the systems, the, the methods that I could get some attention for in order to be seen and felt that I was being valued. But the people that I was, my parents were very preoccupied with their own kind of dilemmas and 
post-war type of uh, traumas and such. And so I have a, a deeper understanding of the bigger circle of, of chaos I was living in. Yeah, you didn't know as a child and young growing up, you didn't know their minds very well. No, no, exactly. And I think, you know, pursuing the studies of psychotherapy and psychology, I learned about my mind and I learned about other people's minds in my family. And that was a very um, expansive way of understanding how the system I was in, if we use system as a way of describing the interconnectedness, uh, produced some of it. The mantra that I use for what you just described is asking my patients to consider this question. What do you think? I think of you. Oh, that's an interesting question. What comes out of that? As for the people who are personality problems, and particularly you like to use it with people who have Asperger's, high functioning Asperger's, they go, what? To, to think about the other person's mind is like a big first step. They can't do it. They can't do it. So. In order to do that, you've got to be able to think about the other person's mind and then think about the subset in that person's mind that is about you. And that is a big strain. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I like that. I might use that, Bernie. Please do. It's, it's a, please do. Came up with it a long time ago and I keep trying to figure out what it is, but now I, I practice it with my patients. And of course that, comes back in helping me. Uh, let's 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 go back to the to synchronicity and psychotherapy because uh, that's uh, so important for us here today. Uh, and what role, generally speaking, has synchronicity played for you as a psychotherapist? Uh, well, you know, it arises at different in different ways with different people. Um, it shows up. I'm not looking for it per se because when you do that, it just sort of makes it go away. <laughs> It's got its own uh, agenda. Um, it shows up in different relationships. It shows up in uh, parallel dreams for me with patients. Uh, it shows up in a parallel, you know, experiences. Uh, I had one um, experience where I was trying to drive to the office in the middle of a stormy morning where the rains were coming down so fast. And my person was arrive, arriving before I did and decided he decided to call me and start talking to me while I was maneuvering through the traffic. I got caught in a, a traffic jam that pushed me into the creek that was flooding. Ah. And as he was talking to me, this was happening. He wow. began telling me about this dream he had. He needed to tell me, he couldn't wait. He said, I dreamt I was skiing down this mountain I was following this woman and I saw her go forward ahead of me and suddenly fall through the ice and she was in the water and underwater. And as, as he's telling me this, I'm in the creek of water. And this whole experience of him realizing that his, his ski partner has fallen into the water was a part of something much bigger that he was involved with um, that we've been dealing with around his we might say his inner feminine, his softer, more vulnerable part of himself. But what I realized with me almost in an enactment of the dream, as it was, 
that I was carrying something really important for him on a deeper level in this process that we were in, that the relationship had, um, I was, had developed more than I had understood. And that, uh, that there was a part of me too that was a little bit out of reach, not just by being late, but there was an emotional component in the fact that I was underwater in this frozen tundra, basically meditating. And it was a very powerful dynamic. Wow. What a story. <laughs> it was. What a story. Um, and that's one of the better ones uh, for me to hear that he's telling you the dream while you're in the water. I'm in the water. And it happened almost like I, you could, I couldn't have like, you know, <laughs> I couldn't have like set up the situation in any way, you know. That, I don't get mind blown too often with these stories because I hear a lot of them, but th this one, the, the it's perfect timing, perfect timing. It's perfect timing. I mean, and, and yeah, you couldn't have orchestrated it, or you could, did, or, or however that works. Some, so when you describe that you and he are, are connected at a deeper level and you're out of reach for him, yes. those are pretty important um, descriptors to, to, to include here in what your story was. So what was the deep, because water is emotion, it's a subconscious, it's like a lot of flow, of, and this is turbulent water. So what, what, what's the connection and what's the distance? Well, I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to answer your question directly, but I'll, I'll, I'll go forward as, it, as I'm feeling called to. Um, you know, I'm thinking we're out in the snow. So there's a frozenness. There's a, something that's kind of been frozen. Uh, where, and, was, where was this? Well, in his dream, he's, he's skiing. In, in where I'm in real life is on my way to my office. In the in the snow, where where is that? Um, where I live is in California, I, and it was a and it was a rainstorm. Oh, it was a rainstorm. So yeah. Where, where was it in California? Um, it's in in Marin County. Marin. Yes, north of San Francisco. I'm, yeah, I've been there. So, and like, I'm just trying to figure out where in Marin, but that's. Oh, it's a, it's a creek bed that has a, a little bridge that goes over it into Larkspur where my office is. And I was approaching the, the bridge, but the waters from the creek had flown, swollen up so much that the cars were stopped and we were basically watching the waters rise. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's, so he's skiing and you're, you're in outside of Larkspur. Right. All right. And so well, he's on the porch actually telling me about the dream of him skiing. Yes. And yeah, okay. And so I'm in, I'm on my way to Larkspur, just almost there, and I enter the creek and the water swell, just as he tells me that this woman falls through the ice into this, into this river, and she's underwater. And what I I understood in that moment was that somehow my emotional um you know, somewhat probably the professional kind of persona that keep, kept a distance, but there's also, I have a quality of keeping a slight emotional distance, I think, just as a person. And he was really touching on that as needing to get in contact with that part of me, but also recognizing that he had to wait because I was fine, she was fine, she was underwater and she was just meditating 
waiting to come forward. And it, it brought up a lot <laughs> in terms of, you know, I think in a, in a good, any good relationship, it takes two. And as a, as a clinician, you have to think about what, what things are coming up around your own resistance to being open and vulnerable to what's what we call the transfers, but the relationship itself. The woman in the dream fell through the ice is in underwater. You're uh, off uh, near the bridge going in the Larkspur, uh, almost underwater. She's meditating and you're waiting when watching and you're listening to his story while you're there. Uh, it, if there's uh, if there's anything that will connect a patient and a therapist, it's a story like that. Yeah, yeah. And and we we ended up talking a great deal about it because uh, when he understood what had happened, he felt like something magical was going on. As did I. As you did. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it, it, it brought up a, a kind of understanding that we, he could trust me, that, that there was this other, other layer that might be also holding the therapy. You know, I think it gave him a sense and me a sense, you know, in the union sense that there was the self, what we call the larger self that was connecting the therapy. That, that is now what I like, where I'd like to go, Yvonne, is because you, as a Jungian are also theoretical as well as practical. And here we have this very clear image of the two of you. And now you're talking about it and it brings you together for sure. And much to say, and much for you to learn about your emotional distance and his connection to you. And but I'm also very curious about how things like this happen. Right. This is so weird. Um, yeah. It, it gets up there with um, Jung Scarab, mm -hmm. which has a lot of variables in it that made it more likely than Jung made it seem to be, uh, because there were, there were a lot of uh, Rose Schaefer's flying around in uh, the Zurich area uh, in the spring. A lot of roses, a lot of those things. And it may not have been so unlikely. Uh, this one, the timing on this one, I'm very like into the timing of things and the clarity of it, because Jung had to get up to open the window. So he made that happen. This one is like both of you just one dreaming and the other one driving, dreaming, driving, and they, this happens. So it's clean. Yeah. It's a clean example of something uh, that's really highly unlikely and there, and so it raises the question of like, how did this happen? How do you understand? How do you explain it? Well, I, I think that this is, you know, as a Jungian, I, I have a, a particular regard for the uncanny. The, what? the things that The uncanny, the things that we can't explain uh, as being part of a, a larger self, you know, that this idea that the self, the capital S self in the union terms is sort of kind of a cosmic arranger, we might think, that there's something, you know, a greater consciousness that we participate in that's bringing us into connection and relationship. But it's also um, 
I think one of the things about synchronicity, it, it feels sometimes like a, a, a perceptual opening to maybe a reality that we don't really live in all the time, but is available to us. Absolutely, and that's why I study coincidences, because coincidences with synchronicity is a subset to me, are, reveal how reality works. And the human beings have used coincidences to figure out how things work for a long time. Uh, exactly. And that's part of the reason I'm interested is like this, uh, it, it reveals things. But what, what you're talking about, what you're talking about, Ivan, that this reveals is the workings of the self. And, and the self has been a, an ambiguous concept to me in Jungian terms, partly because I have a self. And so, yeah, capital S, but yeah, what are you talking about? You're describing this self as having intention. Yeah. What, what, this intention to what? I don't know that we always know. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, there's an intentionality that um, kind of uh, reveals itself from time to time, you know, that, that kind of has a subtle nature and sometimes a, a very, you know, forceful nature. And I think humankind has a, a kind of an idea of having superiority of mind over their world. And these moments for me, awaken me to the fact that there's a greater arranger perhaps involved in the dynamic. And, you know, we have to make meaning out of these, these coincidences, these meaningful coincidences as we can, you know, in a personal way, but in the greater way, in the work that I've done, I kind of wait sometimes, or I alert to being with people, both in personal relationship and in my clinical work, um, to see what emerges of this sort, because it starts to feel like it's connecting some dots. Now, what is the self, the greater self and the union sense? I think it, it kind of reveals itself through our relationships and through our experiences with each other most often. That's good. We're, we're having to come to the end of our discussion. Um, the, the, the self, as you describe it now, as I'm able to understand it, is, an, is a human, human being attributing attentionality to something greater. And, and we tend to be human thinking we have intentionality, which we do, but then we attribute it when something like that happens to some, the big arranger. And so I'm, I'm, I'm now clearer about at least what one Jungian thinks uh, the self is. <laughs> Uh, and the question that is coming up for a lot of people, including me, is, yeah, what's going on around here? Um, there, there are some other forces doing stuff around us. And it's not just our minds here by, by themselves. Some of it, my thinking still is, is to that some of this intentionality is a product of our, our human mind, uh, the, this mental atmosphere, the psychosphere, that we are creating these needs and fulfilling them in some ways for those of us who are able to do it and want to, want to think it and be able to op be open to it. So where that intentionality comes from becomes a vital question. And right now it's this mysterious self as you, as the, as you, you, as you as a Jungian 
call it, but it's a good, it's a holding place for me of like trying to figure out what else is going on that is influencing us collectively. Yes. Well, that, that's, a, that's a big question too, because I mean, we can bring in religion and all of that and how people organize, I think the self and, and put it into some forms of religious perspectives, right? Right. But I feel like it's more than that. It, 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 it is, it's even further out from that. Well, as we used to say in San Francisco in the old days, as you say, further out, I'll say far out. <laughs> far out, yeah. As far out, as far out. Just how far out? I think it's levels of far outness. Uh, and I'll go uh, with that. <laughs> far the outer reach and we're doing levels and trying to see the gradient of it but that this this is a great discussion Yvonne I thank you very much for it because we are able to like clarify some two key things the the mirroring in psychotherapy and possibly outside of psychotherapy um, but also to be able to uh, get some idea of some greater something that is, seems to be influencing us so Thank you, Yvonne. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you, Bernie. It was a pleasure, and I hope you have a great week. Thank you.